A series of major moves in the last several weeks have threatened the dominant status of the U.S. dollar in world trade. The global power of U.S. banks and corporations has, for decades, been premised on the status of the dollar as the world's reserve currency. But this is now being called into question as China, Russia, Brazil, and other economic powerhouses in emerging countries move towards using their own national currencies instead. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are very excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week. Thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work, the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolff.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolff, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. I'm very glad to be here. Thank you. Richard, we want to talk about whether this story is real, whether it's been hyped, whether it's a harbinger. I want to get your take on the fact, the reality, that at least some parts of the world are moving to trade and have economic commerce without the dollar. I want to read to you a few of the headlines. Putin is strengthening the yuan's role, that's China's currency, as Russia's foreign currency of choice. Second headline, Xi and Putin vowed to significantly increase trade between China and Russia. Here's a third headline. China, Brazil announced de-dollarization of mutual trade. Fareed Zakaria, you know, who people can watch on CNN, Quote, the dollar is our superpower and Russia and China are threatening it. Here's another one. Saudi Arabia open to trading in currencies besides the U.S. dollar. Now, there are multiple factors for this phenomena, Richard, and we'll try to talk about some of them. I want to start by reading a paragraph from the media website Inside Banker. Here it is. With around one quarter of the global population suffering from the direct impact of U.S.-led economic sanctions, which invariably diminishes their ability to trade and to perform other necessary economic and financial activities that are often priced using the dollar, it should perhaps come as no surprise 
that de-dollarization has intensified across the world. Well, I think that's a good place to start. Let's start there. There are, of course, other factors, but let's get started there, Professor. Okay. The dollar becomes the world currency after and in large part as a result of World War II. So it is approximately 75 years old. Before that, the closest thing to a global currency was the British pound. In other words, the British empire made the British pound the global currency and the demise of the British empire, which was the the fruit of the first half of the 20th century, was finished off by World War II and was replaced by the American empire and correspondingly by the American dollar. That means basically two things, that the whole world felt the need to accumulate dollars. What does that mean? Banks, the central bank of every European country and of virtually every country around the world, recognized that the dollar was deemed to be the most valuable currency you could own because it was backed by the full faith and credit of the United States, which after World War II was the single biggest economic, political, military power. And it was that for the rest of the 20th century and even into this century. So everybody who wanted to hold wealth in the most secure way possible would hold it in dollars or in what we call dollar-denominated securities. That is some kind of obligation from a reliable debtor to pay off a loan in dollars. So that having this loan in your hand as an asset meant that somebody else who dealt in dollars would pay you back both interest and principal in dollars. People wanted to have dollars. Individuals who were wealthy wanted to hold their wealth in that form. Countries who wanted the world to have confidence in dealing in their own currencies wanted to have a central bank that owned big chunks of dollars as security. If you ever got nervous about holding an Indian rupee or a Japanese yen or a French franc, you knew you could trade it in for dollars at the central bank of France or Japan or India. Number two reason to own dollars. Huge, important parts of the economy dealt in dollars. You've mentioned the most important, the petroleum industry. Remember, after World War II, oil is the basic energy source of the United States and of much of the rest of the world. So if you buy oil, which virtually everybody has to do sooner or later, you pay for it in dollars because that's what the oil producing countries and companies will accept for giving you barrels of oil. So you needed it for the energy as well as for the security of your wealth. And finally, anywhere in the world you went, whether you went as a traveler for business or a tourist, you took your dollars and you could easily 
exchange them for whatever the local currency was, wherever you were, whenever you needed to. And nothing else was as liquid, that's the word finance uses, no other asset was as liquid as the dollar. When you put all these things together, the dollar was an outsized advantaged currency. Nothing else played an equivalent role. And that is still true today. In other words, the dollar remains more of the international currency than anything else. However, in recent years, and especially over the last couple of years, the position of the dollar has begun to erode, or maybe I should say more accurately, it's eroding further and faster. Other currencies are beginning to play a big role. Even before the last few years, there was some role for the euro, the currency of a unified Europe, and even a little bit for the Japanese yen. But what has happened in the last few years is, as everywhere else, the explosion of the importance of China and of the yuan, their currency, as now being almost, not quite, but almost as universally recognized for the powerhouse that China is, because China will support its currency, meaning anybody can use that currency with almost the same reliability that was once exclusively given to the dollar. This is not a historical process that's going to change anytime soon. The only reasonable bet is that it will continue unless the United States and China go to war, in which case none of this matters. So I will assume that's not about to happen or going to happen. And therefore, we're going to only see the further decline of the dollar and the further rise of the yuan. And the only two questions are, one, how fast this will happen, and two, what the consequences will be. One thing speeding it up is the sanctions program against Russia. When the West decided, led by the United States above all, to react to Russia's invasion of the Ukraine by sanctioning Russia in terms of the ability of Russia to deal in the world economy, Russia had always dealt in dollars like most other countries. Russia's central bank had held dollars as a reserve to back up the ruble like other countries. Once you shut Russia out of the dollar system in the world and you applied sanctions, making it difficult for them to sell their oil and gas where they had been, which is mostly to Europe, you accelerated the decline of the dollar. That was not the intention. And if our leaders were really incompetent, they didn't think about it, didn't worry about it, and took no steps to offset it, with the result that the deterioration of the dollar has gotten much quicker because the Russians had to find other outlets for their oil and gas, which they have done and other currencies to replace the dollar, which they have done. The Russian Central Bank now has roughly equal amounts of Chinese yuan as their reserve holding as they still have of dollars. They're 
getting rid of their dollars. The yuan is at 50% or already a bit more. That will continue. The only other thing of importance is that the world's greatest oil producer, Saudi Arabia, has now agreed also to deal in yuan, to accept yuan payments for oil, not just dollar payments. In the larger picture, what we are watching is the decline of the American empire. There is no other rational description of what is going on that makes any sense. How fast it will go, how far it will go, how soon, I don't know the future any better than anyone else. Beyond telling you that it's already an advanced process. It has been accelerated by the Ukraine war, or to be more accurate, by the sanctions program against Russia. And here's, in a way, economics understands it, which may be of interest. If you can use the dollar around the world, here's what happens. The American economy imports something from the rest of the world. Chinese consumer goods, French wine high-quality machinery from Germany, whatever it is, and pays for it in little green pieces of paper, namely our currency. That means the rest of the world works and produces real goods, ships them to the United States. We don't have to ship them in return real goods that American labor has produced because they are willing to accept little green pieces of paper that cost nothing to print. This is an enormous advantage to the American economy, which is why everybody else in the world wishes their currency could play an equivalent role, because you can bring real wealth into your country and only pay for it with cheap paper. But it gets better. A good part of that cheap paper finds its way into the banks in other countries, into the personal wealth holdings of whoever the companies are that export to the United States, and that money ends up usually in the central bank of that other country. But they don't want to sit on green pieces of paper the dollar because it doesn't earn them anything. They have to hold the dollars but they are allowed to substitute, and this is really important, folks, they are allowed to substitute as equal to the dollar investments of those dollars in legal obligations of the United States, because that's as good as the dollar. So what they do is they take their dollars and they lend them to the United States Treasury, getting an exchange treasury bonds. Those are IOUs that the United States Treasury will repay this loan in dollars at the time that's printed on the bond or on the security and will pay interest. What this means is that the United States not only gets the advantage of sending costless green pieces of paper around the world in exchange for real wealth, but in addition, those green pieces of paper come back to the United States as loans to the government. That's why the United States Treasury can run budgetary deficits. 
The rest of the world, wealthy people who hold dollars, companies that hold dollars because they deal in dollar trade, or central banks, or all three of them, lend to the United States government so it can fight a war in Ukraine. It can honor its Social Security obligations. The United States gathers the savings of the rest of the world into its own hands. The rest of the world, poorer than the United States, lends its wealth to the United States as its way of holding dollars. The advantages to the United States are stupefying because we're talking in the aggregate of trillions of dollars that don't go anywhere else but to the United States. It is an enormous subsidy to the U.S. economy. And the meaning of that is as the empire, American empire, shrinks as it is doing, as other currencies displace the dollar from the role I've just described, the subsidy that the rest of the world has been giving the United States for the last 70 years shrinks. And you may not see the connection, but part of the reason we have an inflation and part of the reason the jobs we get in this country don't pay the way they used to because of all that's gone from the America we once had that makes so many people yearn to be MAGA supporters, to make America great again, none of that's gonna happen, not because Mr. Trump is or isn't popular, but because the foundation of it is changing as the American empire gets smaller, as the role of the dollar gets smaller, and alternatives muscle their way into the world economy. And much of America's politics and culture are really the frustrated gestures of all the different players as they try to come to terms with what I've just described, even though they don't understand why it's happening. So, Richard, this is not an event so much as a process associated, as you say, with the very observable decline in U.S. power. But the decline, while important, let's emphasize, too, for people that this process isn't sort of at the end stage because the U.S. enjoys this huge advantage that you know began especially after the Bretton Woods conference in 1944 as you mentioned as the US was coming to the end of World War II it convened a conference in New Hampshire and it was there that it was determined that the dollar post war would be the world's reserve currency no longer the British pound even if that was in a de facto way and at that time Britain but especially France and Germany the other countries in continental Europe, Japan, all of those countries basically lay in ruins. And the U.S. came out of the war, you know, in terms of its home industry, basically unscathed and able to become not just a major power, but the dominating world power economically. And so this new political geostrategic advantage allowed the U.S. to have the dollar 
coined, so to speak, as the world currency. And that meant while other countries had to buy dollars in order to do trade, the U.S. could print dollars. So there's this huge privilege, this huge subsidy, this huge advantage. But again, it's a process. And you mentioned in particular the rise of China. Now, I want to also put this into a historical context because sometimes, especially as the U.S. identifies China as, quote, taking over the world, the reality is that while China has run a trade surplus, meaning China, or really a lot of it is American corporations in China, is selling in its exports more to the United States than what the United States is selling to China, even though that has been a surplus since 1985 now, the reality is that China too, like the other emerging countries and developed countries, was at this whole time subsidizing U.S. debt. So China has steadily accumulated U.S. Treasury securities or bonds, which is what you were talking about during the past few decades. By August 2022, Richard, China owned $971.8 billion in U.S. treasuries. That was down from $1.2 trillion a few years earlier than that. China, roughly, its treasuries of ownership constituted 13%, 13% of U.S. national debt. So China, as a manufacturing hub and an export-oriented economy, selling products on the world market, getting profits, and taking those profits and putting them back into the U.S. government by purchasing at one time $1.2 trillion, maybe it was even more, U.S. securities. So even while China is emerging, it's a country that still has an, the annual per capita income is about $9,000, far, far less than the United States. And China still is financing U.S. debt. That also shows that while the trend is changing. The reality is the U.S. still enjoys this amazing advantage. Anyway, let's just talk about that, help break that down a little bit for our audience. Okay. China is a special case for many reasons. It is the second most important economy in the world now. It is rapidly catching up to the United States, which nobody foresaw as little as 10 or 15 years ago, or no, almost nobody. But it's a special case in another way because of its bilateral trade with the United States. So in order for the Chinese to be able to sell the goods they make, they had to do more than develop the skill in manufacturing. In other words, they had to do more than produce goods that were at least equal in quality to those of the United States and at least at a price lower because you have to pay for the transport from China to the United States, which is a very long ocean voyage or airplane ride. So the Chinese had to do more than basically outproduce American manufacturing, produce equivalent or better quality at equivalent or lower price. Why? Because to produce is not enough. You have to distribute. You have to be able to move the product from Shanghai in China to pick a major area all the way over to Southern California, San Diego, where the object is sold in a store. You needed a system 
of distribution. And the system of distribution that the Chinese worked out was with American corporations. Above all, Walmart. China could not have achieved what it did in the last 30 years without a partnership with Walmart. It's a partnership because Walmart made a fortune off of marketing Chinese goods. And China industrialized by being able to sell everything to Walmart, which in return sold it to the rest of us. In order for all that to work, the prices of goods made in China have to be kept at a certain attractive level. How do you do that? By controlling the exchange rate between yuan, the currency you use in China, and dollars. And so what China had to do was to buy dollars to raise the value of the dollar and to depress the value of the yuan. In other words, to make it cheap to buy goods in yuan because your dollar got you a lot of the yuan. And China constantly intervened in the markets for currency to make its currency attractive enough to sell all that stuff. It's always true that countries are manipulating their currency. It's not unique to China. The United States has done it on many occasions. Countries do it. But everyone has to understand the end result is a manipulated currency exchange rate between almost all currencies with one another and with the big ones like the dollar and the yuan. This is the reality of how we organize our financial arrangements. But here's what it means. Everything imported in the United States is imported based on currency manipulations by the United States, China, and others. There's nothing natural, nothing intrinsic about it. If the relationship between the United States and China changes, then we are going to be paying either much more or much less for all the imported goods in the United States. And remember, that's not just the good you know is imported. It's all the goods that become inputs inside the United States for production here of goods we call American, but which have in them imported components. And if those prices of the imported components go up, so do the prices of American goods. That's what it means to talk about a world economy. American corporations in the last 40 years have become global more than ever. They did it to increase their profits. No other reason. Nobody held a gun to their head. No one made them do it. They made sure the politicians got out of the way by all that ideological neoliberal globalization chatter whose real purpose was simply get out of the way so we can shut our factories in this country, open them in China or India or Vietnam or Brazil, because it's profitable. Just like it was profitable for Walmart to become the chief agent of the industrialization of China in many ways by becoming the distributor of choice for them. I'm not blaming or not blaming anyone. I'm wanting people to understand it's built into the system to function this way. And as everybody shifts, as Walmart 
has to buy from China and no longer can use dollars because the Chinese are powerful enough to say, no, 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 we don't want them anymore. That's why the, the Chinese holding of U.S. dollars has been shrinking from the 1.2 trillion that you mentioned to the under 1 trillion. That's a lot of money that has been converted from dollars into other currencies held by the Chinese. Yeah, it's not a done deal. The United States is still a very powerful global player, but not the way it was, which is why we don't win the wars we get involved in the way we once did. We didn't win in Vietnam, and we didn't win in Afghanistan, and we didn't win in Iraq, and I don't see us doing it real well in Ukraine either, with all the hoopla that attended each of those wars. They, too, are a measure of the decline of the American empire. And if I could add a, a last point, it's going to become harder and harder to manage this situation. Because one of the things the United States had, and Brian, you said that very well, it had the enormous advantage of being able to print the money that the world used. Well, we're not able to do that. The United States isn't the powerhouse it once was. It isn't able to be stable. What Americans don't seem to want to understand is that the consequence of the decline, both of American capitalism and of the American empire, is producing enormous tensions here in the United States as the wealthy hold on to their wealth at a time when the pie is shrinking. Well, if the pie is shrinking, but the people who have the biggest chunk of it won't give up anything, it means everybody else has to give up that much more in the struggle between the rich and powerful on the one hand and everybody else in the United States. The rich and powerful have the advantage. They can work through the decline of the United States by holding on to their wealth. They have the connections, but it means the rest of us are really going to take it on the chin. That's why our politics are falling apart. That's why we have the social divisions we do. And guess what? This is a process that feeds on itself because the rest of the world watches the American scene. They watch Mr. Trump. They watch the shootings every day. And they say, this isn't a country whose wealth we want to hold. We don't want to hold dollars. This is a society that is falling apart. And so that makes the decline of the dollar go a bit faster. And that in turn squeezes the American economy. We are in a downward spiral that needs real leadership to change it to come to terms with China, if we keep on this road of confrontation, as with the sanctions on Russia, as with the Taiwan struggles with China, we are worsening the situation that is undermining us from within the core of our economy. And that's self-destructive, if not downright stupid. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolff.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow.
You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.